Again, welcome to Freedom. I'm so glad that you're here today. And uh, to those of you who are joining us online, welcome to Freedom Online. We're so glad to have you tuned in. He is here today. The, the Holy Spirit is always with us. And I don't know how to quantify it, but there are just times He is more with us. And uh, we're, we're in one of those moments right now. It's so sweet to just feel the presence of Jesus in this place, and, and He is here. It's, it's so easy to fall into the trap of having a mindset of, of coming and our highest hope is that the music will be good or that the the message won't be too long or won't be boring or it'll be something relevant that I can apply and to miss the point that it's all about him that it's all for him that that he the king of glory the one who made it all the one in whom everything exists and has its being. That he is present with us. He's good. And, he, and all the time he is good indeed. Well we're in a series right now that we've been in for several weeks. We're drawing uh, near the close of it. It's called the Unseen War. And we are now dialed into the third realm of spiritual warfare. We've dealt with the, the flesh and just the sinful self. We've dealt with struggles in the world. And now we're, we're pressing in to the issue of how to experience deliverance from the powers of darkness when they particularly are assaulting us or attaching themselves to us or to those that we love. How do we break free from that? Now, if you haven't been here the past couple of weeks, it is very important that you go back and that you dial into what we've covered the last two Sundays. I'll summarize really quickly by saying two things. First of all, if you're going to be free from all of the junk that comes from the enemy and all that he would bring against you, you first have to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. You have to submit to God or you don't have a prayer in dealing with the enemy. And then what we talked about last week is understanding that it's not enough just to make demons get out of our lives or out of our homes we've got to remove the the legal rights that they've got to be there in essence you have to close the doors and windows spiritually speaking so they don't have a right to come back in and i won't rewind all of that today but you can go back last week and just see what the primary ones are and it's not complicated to close those but but it is important that you understand that and that you've taken those simple steps so that the enemy no longer has a legal claim against you or against your spouse or against your kids because the things that we're talking about really do matter so many of the struggles that we've had in life so many of the pains or really the the lingering problems that we've had aren't just the result of what happened to us when somebody did us wrong or how our parents raised us or or some mistakes that we've made. So many of our our biggest lingering struggles are at least in large part due to the fact that there's an unseen enemy who has a specific assignment to your life and in many cases has been able to establish a foothold, a stronghold, and now they've had a long-term opportunity to influence how we think and how we relate to others. And and it can just leave us in a very bad place. And so today, we're going to get down to business of how do you just force that out? 
How do you get rid of that once and for all? How many of you would just like to know you could live the rest of your life there? I want the enemy gone and I want him to stay gone. Well, all right, you're in the right room. We're, we're on the same team, so let's dive into that today. And we're going to be looking as our primary scripture text in Luke chapter 8. If you've got your uh, Bibles and outlines, go ahead and pull those out. We're going to look at one of the, um, the most striking stories ever in the Gospels of Jesus having to deal with somebody who really had major demonic issues. Now, I realize in using the text that we're going to talk about today, or at least open up with today, that the only downside of the text that I'm using is that you'll read this and you'll probably go, I've never seen anything like that and I don't ever want to. And I get it. That, What we're going to read today is the extreme. This is all the way to the the max of of what demonic possession and attachment can look like. And don't be thrown off by the fact that you'll read this and probably go, well, I've never experienced anything like that, so maybe I don't have to deal with these kinds of issues. Understand the enemy manifests itself in a lot of different ways. The principles of how we deal with it remain the same regardless of how it gets manifest. So we're going to pick up. In uh, verse 26 of Luke chapter 8, where it says, Then they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. It's it's always worth stopping when something starts with like a then. Just a quick reminder of the then follows a scary, uh, just like life-threatening, but then mountaintop kind of experience where the disciples have gotten in the boat with Jesus and they're rowing and sailing across the Sea of Galilee, which is actually just a huge lake. And about midway across, this really bizarre storm came upon them, and it was about to do them in. These guys were experienced fishermen and sailors, and they realized they were about to die. And there's a really unique feature to this storm. It would appear from reading the story, we're not going to back up and read, that there was a demonic nature to the storm itself, which only Jesus recognized. The storm came up so suddenly, and it's about to kill them. I would remind you... That Paul said that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He has influence not just over lives, but he has influence over a lot of things in nature. And in this instance, it appears to be a supernatural storm event. It is one more attempt to kill Jesus before he can get to the cross. Jesus is asleep by the... Yet it's, there's great commentary in that. Satan's bringing the biggest he can bring and Jesus is taking a nap. He is just just dead asleep while all this is going on. The disciples wake him up screaming, What's wrong with you? Can't you see we're about to die? And Jesus looks around and essentially says, Shut up to the spirits controlling the wind and the waves. Literally, that was what he said. We, We kind of dumb that down and say, Peace, be still. But he told the storm to just hush. And suddenly it's completely calm. Now, every time a storm came up in Galilee in Jesus' life and ministry, he didn't calm the storm. When there was a demonic storm, he spoke to the enemy and suddenly there was no storm anymore. And the disciples are just kind of freaking out going, did you see that? That was crazy. Even the wind and the waves have to do what this guy says. We've never seen anybody like this. So now they're suddenly they're on the mountaintop. I'm sure they're all singing praise songs and just worshiping Jesus. Not really, but they're, they're just having a mountaintop experience. And as you've seen in your own life, what normally follows a mountaintop experience? Yeah. A valley. Well, this valley had a name. His name is Legion. They're about to meet the, the enemy jumping in their faces right after a mountaintop experience with God. 
when they got out on land, a demon-possessed man from the town met him. For a long time, he had worn no clothes and did not stay in a house, but in the tombs. This is a scary guy. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and said in a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torment me. For he, Jesus, had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was guarded and bound by chains and shackles, he would snap the restraints and be driven by the demon into deserted places. What is your name, Jesus asked him. Legion, he said, because many demons had entered him. And they begged Jesus not to banish them to the abyss. Let's just pause there for a moment. Are you beginning to get just a little bit of the crazy picture awaiting them as they land on shore? I mean, I know the disciples are excited about what they've just witnessed. But by the same token, if you've just been in a boat on big open water, that the storm was so bad you were about to drown. Let me just assure you. When you hit shore, you want to get out and just drop to your knees and kiss the ground and just say, thank you, God, for getting me back on solid ground. They don't have time to do that because waiting on the shore is a maniac. We would lock this guy up. They tried to. They tried to again and again. They didn't have a mental hospital to send him off to, so they just tried putting chains and shackles on him and a guard on him. Poor guard. I'm sure the guards ran away in fear when this joker with supernatural, demonically given strength would just snap the chains, rip off the shackles, rip off his clothes. And he's just so far gone, he just doesn't wear clothes at all anymore. And he just lives in the tombs. Creepy, creepy guy. Nobody wants anything to do with him. Jesus and the disciples land on shore. Jesus has never seen this guy before. The man has never seen Jesus, but somebody in this equation knows exactly who Jesus is. The same spirits who've been around for thousands of years, who were in heaven and took part in the rebellion when Lucifer tried to overthrow the throne of God, and who were the angels cast out of heaven with Lucifer. Oh, these spirits were a part of that tribe, and they knew when they were in the presence of the Son. The uncreated one, the all-powerful one, the one who spoke everything into existence, the one who has such incredible power and authority, he holds everything in the universe in place by his spoken word. Can you begin to appreciate when Jesus steps out of the boat, while the demons go, No! Son of the Most High God, what do you have to do with us? Please don't torment us. Please don't send us to the abyss ahead of time. I love it. Because it is a reminder of the greatness, of the power and authority of Jesus. Here's a man, nobody can contain him. Nobody wants to go near him. And Jesus gets out of the boat. He doesn't even have to speak. And the demons are going, no. Because they know whose presence they've come into. Well, it becomes a bit of a power showdown. They're screaming in fear. And Jesus tells them to leave and they don't leave. If you look carefully at the passage, this goes on for a time. That there's this back and forth. Jesus is saying, get out. And they don't want to get out. They're trying to negotiate something. It's not unusual when you're dealing with a real powerful stronghold that 
that it takes some time. It's taking some time here. Now there's a large herd of pigs that were feeding on the hillside, and the demons begged Jesus to permit them to enter the pigs. So finally he gave them permission, and the demons came out of the man, and they entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank and into the lake, and they drowned. Now when the men who tended to them, to the pigs, saw what had happened, they ran off and reported it in the town and in the countryside. Then the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus, and they found the man that the demons had departed from, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed... And in his right mind. And they were afraid. Seems like a strange response, doesn't it? But you just got to bear in mind. Everybody's worst scary story always involved this man. Because he was the scariest point of reference they had in life. You, you want to tell a horror story, it always involved crazy naked guy that hangs out in the tombs. <laughs> And they come back, and crazy naked guy's got his clothes on, and he's in his right mind, and he's looking at somebody more powerful than him, and it just freaks them out. So meanwhile, the eyewitnesses reported to them how the demon-possessed man was delivered. There's the key word. Then all the people of the Gerasene region asked him to leave them, because they were gripped by fear. So getting into the boat... He returned. The man from whom the demons had departed begged him earnestly to be with him. But Jesus sent him away and said, Go back to your home and tell all that God has done for you. And off he went, proclaiming throughout the town how much Jesus had done for him. Now this is not the point, and I'm not going to camp here, but I'm also not going to skip it. Something powerful, profound, and life-changing just happened. And it's going to affect a lot of people in this community. They've been terrorized by this man. And Jesus has just done something that they couldn't imagine. He has forevermore set this man free from what has tormented him. He's no longer a nightmare. He's actually going to be a blessing in his community. But fear won the day from that point forward in that community. Fear took over. The people saw this. They were impressed, and at some level they had to be grateful because their biggest fear had just been dealt with. And yet the fear of the unknown, the fear of Jesus, the fear of this whole thing that had happened caused them to just shrink back and say, Would you please just go somewhere else with that message and this thing that you're doing? And I want to tell you, this is the most common response that I see in the American church to the subject that we're dealing with today. We want the benefits, but we're afraid with having to deal with what has to be dealt with, and fear wins the day most of the time. Out of fear for, I I don't know how to do this. This sounds messy. If I tried to bring this to my own home, to my own family, I don't know. It might not work. What if it gets crazy? What if it gets out of hand? I, I don't know. I think I'd just rather we talk about something else. How about if we just pray for this to get better? How about if we just try harder to overcome this problem? We'll read our Bibles more. We'll go to small group now. I bet that will make it better. No, it won't. If there's a demonic stronghold in play, reading your Bible more, going to church more, trying harder will not overcome the influence of the enemy. He has to be forced out. 
So don't let fear win the day today. Are you with me? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Because there's a certain amount of this and all of us. Can I just be really transparent with you? As many years as I've had to deal with this kind of stuff. As many times as I've taught on this. There's still a part of this that ultimately is tied to fear that I don't want to go back here. I don't want to teach on this. I want to find something else to teach on. People do not come up and pat me on the back and go, Oh, thank you. I sure did enjoy that this month. That is not what's happening. What I do get are the subtle comments about how much longer is this going to go on? When are we going to be finished? I don't really like it when you talk about this. To which I want to go, I ain't thrilled about preaching on it. I'd rather just preach on the goodness of Jesus or something else. There's an enemy that has to be dealt with. There are five things I want to show you from this passage, and I'm going to move through them pretty quickly because we want to actually get down to business of how to get the enemy out. But there are some basic principles that are important for us to understand and hold on to, and and this passage becomes a good reminder of those. If you want to follow along in your outline, the first one is this. Many deliverance situations, we could say most, are unique, and they require the Holy Spirit's guidance and power. The reason that I point this out is because a lot of us want everything to be formulaic. And and to some extent, what I'm going to be sharing with you today, there is a pattern that we follow. But I need for you to understand, dealing with the demonic and dealing with people is always unique. And so you cannot trust that things are going to happen in a real predictable fashion. In the story that we just read, I mean, what other encounter ever looked like this? There's not any. There's nothing else you're going to find in Scripture of, oh yeah, here's a naked man in the tombs, and when it's all said and done, we get a bunch of devil tam, and the pigs run into the, into the sea, and they kill themselves. That's not like any other story. It's, it's completely unique. And Jesus is trying to get the pigs out, and the, I mean the demons out, and they're begging to go into the pigs. That is just not a normal response. But Jesus just, just takes it as it comes and under the Holy Spirit's leadership realizes in this instance it's fine to let them go in the pigs. Some of us are going, poor, poor pigs. These Jews weren't supposed to have these pigs, by the way. It's part of the reason that I'm convinced that Jesus let them do that. They had a legal right there. Jews weren't supposed to be having these unclean animals to eat. Everybody you deal with is unique. And every spirit that you deal with is unique. This is random, but we had a goofy encounter at the... We always stop at the coffee shop on the way up here on Sunday mornings and get our drink for the day. And uh, as we were leaving, I was just reminded of the uniqueness of every human being. We went to get in our vehicle, and I noticed Jackie looking hard at somebody. And at first glance, I didn't catch what she was looking at when I was take. I saw what she was gazing at and realized why she had stopped to look a fellow had pulled up to coffee loft in his truck and he didn't get out to go in and get coffee he got out and pulled a chicken out of his truck and he took his chicken for a walk he walked his chicken like you'd walk your dog and when the chicken was finished he put the chicken back in the truck with him and went on now I've got to tell you, I've seen a lot of things in life. I have never seen anybody pull up to the coffee shop with a chicken in the cab with a truck with them. And let the chicken go potty and put him back in the truck. That is a one-time deal. And if the chicken walker's in the room, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I, but 
I tell that dumb story because it just is a reminder of just how unique every situation is. I've been involved in a lot of deliverance situations. And I can't think of any two that look the same. Sometimes when people get set free, there is nothing striking to observe in that moment. Now, if you could just analyze what happens in that moment, there's probably some little expression that was evidence of the enemy leaving. I don't mean to be gross, but honestly, a lot of times when the enemy will depart, there will be like some physical expression of that. Sometimes it will depart on a breath or a cough or a sneeze. And more extreme examples, it'll be through vomiting or something like that. But, but it's not unusual that you don't, as the person leading in that deliverance situation, that you won't even notice what it was. Other times, it's very loud. Sometimes there's screaming or hissing or cursing or, I mean, just every situation is different. I've seen many instances where people passed out in, in the moments leading up to deliverance, that the enemy will cause somebody to become mute or, or completely lose control in, in that moment. But it's, you can't predict what it's going to look like. And I'm not trying to tell you those things to like give you goosebumps. It, it's not goosebump kind of moments when that happens. If, if anything in those moments... Something healthy stirs in us that's akin to anger because you see the enemy begin to manifest himself in an attempt to say, you can't have them. I have them. You can't have them. And it's a real healthy thing that in those moments you realize, oh no, you you don't get to rule the day here. Jesus died so they can be free. Don't be thrown off because a lot of times the enemy is just manifesting just weird stuff to, to throw us off or to frighten us. Sometimes they'll sneer at you. Jackie and I were involved together in a, in a ministry situation where somebody had suspected that they were under demonic influence and had come for counsel and prayer and in the course of walking them through kind of a short version of what I've been teaching on and leading them into a, an opportunity for deliverance. This person who's very smart, very you know, healthy person who relates well to others. And we've been around this person many, many times. Through, I mean, just a lengthy span of time, like longer than I've been standing here talking to you now, sat there and just over and over and over just stuck her tongue out at us. Just, and like we'd just be conversing, but just sticking tongue out. At first we're kind of looking at each other like, uh, is something weird going on here? And then we both realized pretty quickly, the Spirit's manifesting itself. It's taunting us. It's, it's just, it's, you know, come out in different ways. It's just one of those things. It's kind of like the story with the pigs. It's just, this one is just taunting, essentially going, no, you can't, you can't have this person. It's different every time. I, earlier on in deliverance ministry, I, I wanted to feel like I had control of the situation to know this is when you get them out. It's when you say this, it's when you do this. And one of the things that we'll do that I'll go over with you today is we use a prayer guide because it helps us to kind of systematically go through and close doors and it helps us to submit to the authority of of the Lord Jesus, His Lordship, and then to take authority over the enemy. And So it made sense to me when we get to the taking authority, the binding and casting out, that's when it's going to get wild and crazy. And it just doesn't always happen that way. It was a ministry encounter a while back with a woman that 
suspected that there was a stronghold in her own life, so she's sitting down with me and another small group leader to talk through this, and we'd let her share her story, and we got, you know, we talked through to the point it's time for us to walk through these different areas of prayer, and I'm thinking it's going to be when we get over here at the end that it's going to get crazy. We literally made it, I'm not kidding, about two sentences deep into the first prayer. The first prayer is just a simple one, surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus. And as soon as we just got those two lines into it, she just began to scream at the top of her lungs and then just collapse on the floor unconscious. I was like, well, that wasn't the plan for how that was supposed to go or when that was supposed to happen. We began to pray over her. In a few minutes, she came to again. She did not need any more instruction at that point. She immediately began to confess the sin of a relationship that she had covered up and lied about as she shared her story and knew that she had to confess that in order for that to be broken and set free. Every situation is unique. And you are going to need the leadership and power of the Holy Spirit to press in through that. The most profound situation that Jackie and I have ever encountered in deliverance ministry happened in our own lives, in our own home late one night. It took, what, three hours to just wade through all of that? And we did everything I'm going to share with you today, and then some. Did everything I know to do in a deliverance situation. And still... We realize there is a ranking spirit holding on and saying, I don't have to leave. And it was one of those situations where, and, and again, whether this makes sense to you or not, I'm telling you it's a fact. When you ever can discover the name of the ranking spirit that you're dealing with, when you can take authority over them by name and command them to leave, their hold is broken and usually within 60 seconds the whole deal is over. It's like a house of cards coming down. And we could not force it to identify itself. Sometimes in desperate situations, we'll seek to force the enemy to just name itself or how it got in. It would not. And it finally, in that instance, it just took a a word of, of revelation from the Holy Spirit that God gave us the name of that spirit. I mean, out of nowhere. Just saying... He won't identify himself. God, we need you to tell us. And he gave us the name. When we took authority over that thing by name, it wasn't 30 seconds. It was gone. 30, I mean, for three hours we've been pressing in, dealing with physical pain. That it, it, it ended up attacking both of us. It was a bizarre situation. It wasn't like anything I've ever encountered before. And it was a life-changing deal. I mean, the last two years have been an amazing difference since that night. But it took a long time of pressing in. And in that instance, it took just... Listening and letting God say the name of the spirit that you're dealing with is this. And when we called it by name and dealt with it, it was gone. So I tell you that just to say, it's not about your strength. It's not about your wisdom. It is about the Holy Spirit's power. Don't be freaked out that at times nothing weird is going to seem to go on. Other times it's going to get really squirrely. It's okay. Jesus is bigger than all of that. Jesus said when he announced his ministry... The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me, that is, He has empowered and filled me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set oppressed people free. Somebody say amen. That's what Jesus came for, and that is the ministry He passed on to us. So you understand this. If you're saved... You've got the Holy Ghost. You don't have a little Holy Ghost. You have the Holy Ghost. He's a person. You either got him or you don't. And if you've got him, if you're in Christ, you've got him. That means you have an anointing. 
You have a filling and an empowerment to set prisoners free. That doesn't mean you're supposed to go to the Fairhope Jail and look for the keys. It means people whose lives are in bondage to the influence of the kingdom of darkness. You have the keys to set them free. You are supposed to release prisoners. You are supposed to bring freedom to people who have not known it in a long time. That's what the Holy Spirit's anointed you to do. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, he said, I I just pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened so that you could see and understand the incredible power that lives in you. This is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, and it's in you. It's power to heal the sick, and it's power to set free those who are in bondage. Jesus declared in John 14, I'm going to the Father. I'm going to ask Him. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. And you will do even greater things than I have done because I will send the Holy Spirit to fill you and I'll be at the right hand of the Father and I'll be interceding for you and you'll do the things that I've done and even more. Because you're going to have more than three years to do it. second thing is recognize that the key to deliverance is using spiritual authority. I cannot overemphasize this. It is all about spiritual authority. If there's one passage that is the, the keystone to deliverance ministry, it's James 4, 7. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Everybody say, he will flee. He will flee. He will flee. It's not he might, he may. He will flee. But you cannot skip the first half. You must submit to God. When Jesus was sending the twelve out to go two by two and do ministry without him present... He said, when you go, tell the people this. God's kingdom is now very near. Heal the sick, bring the dead back to life, heal people who have leprosy, and force demons out of people. Everybody say, force demons out. Don't pray them out. Force demons out of people. I give you these powers freely, so help others freely. Now, lest we want off the hook by going, well, he gave that to the disciples, but he probably left it with the disciples. Wrongo. That is not what he did. He gave it to all of his followers. Luke 9 and 10 tell us about Jesus sending out the 12 two by two and then Jesus sending out 72 two by two. Luke 10, when the 72 returned, they joyfully reported to Jesus, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Yeah, I was there when he got kicked out. Look, I have given you authority. Everybody say authority. I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. That's good news. It's not like maybe I'll bump into a weak demon that I can deal with. You don't have to worry about it. You have the same power that Jesus had. You have the same authority that Jesus had. Don't look at me like a calf looking at a new gate when I say that. You, you've got it over all. All the powers of the kingdom of darkness. So when you speak in Jesus' name, this is not hocus pocus, this is not magic, this is not some incantation that we're doing to conjure up some some power that we don't understand. No. When we do it in the name of Jesus, we are declaring we are under his authority. I'm not throwing you out through my strength. That's why I don't have to get loud, I don't have to spit when I talk, I don't have to at you. No. I just have to declare, in Jesus' name and under his authority, I declare to you, you must go. Leave. You be silent as you go. Do no harm as you go. I'm telling you, when I command demons to leave, I give them some specific instructions. I tell them, 
You are not going to harm this person when you go out. When you go out, you are not allowed to come back in. You are not going to speak as you go out. And you are only going to go to the place that Jesus is now commanding you to go. And then I leave it up to Jesus to say where they go. The demons that were in Legion, that were in this man, they were so afraid because they knew that there were a limited number of spirits who have already been banished to the abyss. To... We don't know exactly what that means, but it ain't good. They're scared to death of it. Most demons are still on the loose. There are some that have done things bad enough. They have been chained up. We leave it up to Jesus where he sends them. But we take authority and command them. They have to go. They have to go where he says, and they can't come back. You have the authority to do this. But it's only as you stand in line with Jesus' authority. In the Great Commission, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go. You go and make disciples. You go and bring the kingdom in. You've got the authority to do this. Number three, in doing this, we must stand in the victory that Jesus won at the cross. We're standing in his victory. We're not going out to win a victory. In Ephesians 6, Paul said, finally, be strong in the Lord. Everybody say that. Be strong in the Lord. One more time. Be strong in the Lord. That means you don't have to be a big, strong person. You don't have to be a confident person. You don't have to be an outgoing person. You just be strong in the Lord. Does that mean I have to read my Bible four hours a day? No, it doesn't. Does it mean I have to go to every Bible study all week long? No, it doesn't mean that. It means you understand that the power flowing through you has little or nothing to do with your frame or your confidence. It has everything to do with the power of God resting on you and living in you. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. I want you to notice how many times he uses that. Look for the word stand. So that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. I hear a recurring theme. Here's your marching orders. Here's your battle orders. Stand. Stand firm. Stand your ground. Stand. It's like, I just want something... Bigger. I want something that's like more. Woo-hoo! I want to lead the charge. I want to, I want to kill the enemy. Nope. The enemy's been dealt with. He was dealt with at the cross. Jesus has won the victory. Stand. Well, where do I stand? I stand in the victory that Christ has won. What does that look like? It looks like I'm not flippant and foolish in the things that I say to the enemy. Satan, I'm going to kick your butt today. I'm never going to say that in prayer. I've heard people who pray like that, and I just kind of step back and say, you have fun with that. Even Michael the archangel would not bring a railing accusation against Satan whenever he contended over the body of Moses. That's what the scripture says in Jude. You start standing in your own strength, and you'll get hurt. Ask the seven sons of Sceva that are described in, in Acts. They thought this was just some little, some little game, some little incantation. They weren't followers of Jesus. They just heard how other people did it. And they're like, we can do that in the name of Jesus, whom Paul over here preaches. You come out. That worked a few times. The enemy was foolish enough just at the name of Jesus. They fled. They finally ran into somebody who had a really strong demon in him. In the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, you come out. That spirit spoke through the man and said, Jesus we know and Paul we know, but who are you? 
and hopped on those seven guys and whipped them. Left them naked and bleeding, running away when that story was said and done. That's what happens when you stand in your own strength. You get your fanny kicked. But when you're strong in the Lord, you're bringing Jesus' victory to bear. So we remind the enemy of that. I mean, I say it in prayer frequently as I'm engaged in spiritual warfare. I remind you of Jesus' victory at the cross of Calvary. I remind you of His shed blood, of His death, and of His resurrection and glorious ascension. I remind you that He is positioned at the right hand of God the Father with all power and authority under His feet. I remind you Jesus is victorious and you are subject to Him. You see, we're standing in His victory and His authority. Doesn't have much to do with me. Revelations 12, it talks about the, how the enemy is the accuser of the brethren. And it's so much of what he does. Shame and guilt and discouragement and depression that he heaps on us. But it says, now God has shown His power as King. Now His Messiah has shown His authority. For the one who stood before our God has accused believers day and night has been thrown down out of heaven. How did that happen? Well, they won their victory over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the testimony which they proclaimed. They just held on to and declared what Jesus had done for them. The victory of his death and resurrection, of his shed blood, and the enemies overcome by that. You know what that looks like a lot of times in real practical terms? When the enemy is working you over, and you know where that all happens. It all happens right here. It's at the level of your mind. It's your thoughts. And so whatever your thing is, whether he messes with you over, you know, something you've done in the past that you're ashamed of or thoughts of self-harm. I mean, we could make a a long list of all the different ways that he'll mess with us in our minds. And he's constantly accusing us. "You're, You're worthless. God doesn't love you. You don't belong to God. Blah, blah, blah. All that junk. The accuser of the brethren accusing us. When he's busy trying to accuse us of how bad we are and how messed up we are and of all the wrong things that we've ever done, we can just smile and say, Jesus knows all my stuff. It's in the light and it's under the blood. I've done all kinds of bad things. Even more things than you know about, devil. And Jesus says, it's under the blood and it's forgiven. The cross was enough. The death of Jesus was enough. What else you got? And that silence is the enemy. You see, don't argue with him. You just point out a lot of the stuff you said is true. But the rest of the truth is the price has been paid. That's our victory. Number four, prayer that is filled with Scripture is particularly powerful and effective. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 6, as he's describing the different ways that we cover ourselves in warfare, he only gives us one offensive weapon, and he describes it when he says, And take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and persistent in your prayers. When we use the Word of God in spiritual warfare... The enemy is crippled by that. And so in real practical terms, yes, when you're engaged in a warfare situation where it's a deliverance deal, yes, you want to use the word frequently in that. 
But when we really get down to it, the most common place that this is going to happen is when you realize that you're in a season, either in your life or somebody in your family, that they are particularly under spiritual attack, or maybe God's given you an awareness that there is a spiritual attachment. There is a demonic attachment to somebody that I love or to me, and it's not just immediately going away. We're having to press in on that thing. One of the things that you want to do is you want the word to be spoken aloud frequently in your home and in in the presence of, if possible, in the presence of this person. So like if you're in a season that you know you're dealing with a lot of spiritual warfare stuff, in your quiet times, read the word aloud. Just do it aloud. Just do it as a declaration that you're just affirming, I believe this and I declare this. We're just declaring the truth. And home in on those passages that just give praise and glory to, to the Lord Jesus, to God the Father. Doctrinally thick passages are particularly powerful in this. Songs like what we did earlier today, the creed, that's so powerful in warfare because it's, it's declaring the truth about Jesus, who he is and what he's done, and it's declaring, I believe, I believe, I believe. And there's power for, that's unleashed in that Take one other little thing about that. Psalm 103.20 says this. Praise the Lord all his angels of great strength who do his word obedient to his command. Remember that the enemy, they're all angels. They are angels that have been cast out of heaven. And in our warfare, God unleashes the other two-thirds that were faithful to him as a part of gaining the victory and a part of protecting us. I mean, one of the things we'll often pray in warfare as we engage is, Lord, we ask you to set warring angels around us because we're fixing to press into a place that you've led us to. We want to see the enemy defeated, and we want supernatural help here. And so we invite that. We welcome that. It's interesting to consider that the angels who are faithful to God always live to obey the word of God. They hear the word of God. They hear the voice of God. And they jump into action. But the scripture says these are ministering spirits sent for our comfort and aid. They're here to help us bring the kingdom of God to earth. And so when we declare the word of God... When we speak what God says about a situation from his word, we invoke unseen help on our side. That's good to know, isn't it? David's saying, these angels of great strength who do his word, can't you just picture them watching what's going on saying, just give the word. We want to jump in. We love to see them defeated. So you, you speak the word. Speak what word? Speak the word of God to invoke Help from the good guys. Fifth and finally, you just need to know this. Spirit-led deliverance is 100% effective, but it may require patience. Jesus did not get the desired result immediately with Legion. For a while, the enemy resisted. And this was Jesus talking. I can sure tell you this from personal experience. Lots of times when you're dealing with a demonic attack, it's broken when you take authority and you command the enemy to go. Lots of times. But if it's a long-standing stronghold, if it's something that's been in place for a long time, don't be shocked if it's going to take some time to press in. But don't fear that somehow you failed, that somehow this didn't work. Oh, it always works because Jesus is always victorious. If the person is a believer, whether we're talking about ourselves or somebody else we're ministering to, and if they're willing to submit to the Lordship of Jesus, they're willing to to confess their sins, give forgiveness for need, do those things, 100% of the time, the stronghold of the enemy will be broken. 
But you just may have to go in day after day. It doesn't mean you've got to spend two hours doing it. Truthfully, what you do on a daily basis can usually be done in about the amount of time it takes you to brush your teeth. This is about how long it takes to just engage in warfare prayer. And just take time every day to just press in, press in, press in, press in. And it will be broken 100% of the time. You just can't give up. You can't let up. So what does this look like? In the 21st century, just living your life, dealing with your family, dealing with the stuff that goes on in your world. What does this look like? Suppose you leave today. You go home and... Somebody else who was listening online or was in the room here today, they contact you and say, I'm not sure what to do with this, but I think something has got a hold on me. I think something has been affecting me and tormenting me, and I don't know how to get rid of it, and I need you to help me. What are you going to do with that? How do you press into that? Because none of this has had much value if you don't know how to respond to that. Wouldn't you agree? It's pretty much been wasted time if you don't know how to then press in from that point. So I'm just give you a simple guideline for, for how we could press in. First of all, we're glad to step in. When people ask for that kind of help, we are glad to represent Christ in those situations. And so, first of all, you don't need to take a week to do this, but it's nice if you've got the luxury of a few minutes before you see them to just go before the Lord and to make sure your heart is right. Sins are confessed and your life is surrendered to Him for two reasons. One, we don't want to in any way block the flow of God working and speaking to us and through us. We want to hear Him clearly. We want Him to work through us. But number two, I want to make sure the doors are closed in my life. Because it is very possible for you to cast the enemy out of somebody else. And if you haven't dealt with your own stuff first, he's willing to go, I'll glad to leave him because I'd love a new home. Doink. I just found my new home. It was 18 inches away. So you, want to, you don't have to be afraid of that. You just do your part. Have I confessed my sins? Have I made sure I've closed the doors? Am I just trusting Christ and under His Lordship? Yes. Okay, so we've done that. Now we go into that person's situation. And we're going to, um, we're going to first just clear the room. And so I'm going to walk you through sort of the short version of this together in the next five minutes. And so I'm going to do over you what I would do over that person. So the first thing we're going to say is, can we just together just pause in the Lord's presence and clear the So let's do that for this room. Father, it is our joy to come to you in Jesus' name. We welcome the work of your Holy Spirit. And we realize that where you're at work, the enemy always opposes that. And so now, Jesus, we declare that you are our Lord and we submit to your authority. And we take authority now over any demonic spirit, any spirit that can acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God who came in the flesh and doesn't yield to him. And we bind those spirits and command your silence in Jesus' name. And we declare that you can only leave. You can only go out. You can't come in. Only departure. No entry. And we bind you in Jesus' name and declare you can do no harm and you cannot speak. We bind you to silence in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we've cleared the space, and now we can press in and begin to do ministry. Now, I'll tell you, listening is as important as talking when you do ministry to somebody. And so this is the point at which I would invite the person to share what's relevant about their story. And you ask for Holy Spirit's guidance when when they're telling their story. Because He'll nudge you at times when they 
share about something or when they gloss over something, to you'll just feel it in your heart like, whoa, whoa, back, back up and tell me about that again. And you may need to ask some clarifying questions. And part of what you're listening for especially is, do they share anything that gives you a point of entry or that would give you some revelation as to how the enemy has a legal right to be here so that in a minute we're going to have a chance to press into anything we need to confess, any doors we need to close, any soul ties that need to be severed. We're going to give them an opportunity to share their story, us to ask any questions that we need to. And we're going to make sure that we ask the most fundamental question. Are you at a place in your life that you know you have personally trusted Christ and you've received his forgiveness, that Jesus is your Lord and King? You may get an answer like, well, I mean, I I know I'm saved. I I know I'm a Christian, but I, I mean, I don't know about all of that. I don't know that I could say everything's right between me and God. Well, could we... Just right now, set that right. Is there anything that you need to confess? You know, we'll walk through the basics of the, of the open doors. Is there anybody you need to forgive? Is there anything un- ongoing in your life that you just need to confess to God and ask for His help in changing? Is there any inappropriate relationship, any dabbling in the occult, any of these basic things? If any of those come to light, let's just confess those and ask for God's forgiveness and trust the blood of Jesus to cover it. Now, having done that, can we together just press in in prayer to address the appropriate areas, submitting to the Lordship of Jesus, and now taking authority over the enemy? And I, the way that I will typically do that is what I'm fixing to do with you. I'm just going to do a little shorter version with you this morning. Hopefully you were given when you walked in the door a spiritual warfare prayer guide. Now, when you lead somebody, or when you're personally doing warfare praying... There's no need, day after day, to pray all the prayers that are in here. This is kind of like a buffet of different things that you just have access to to use them as needed. If I'm in a deliverance ministry situation, I'm always going to pray the first prayer and the last two prayers, no matter what else is involved. Because we always want to confess the Lordship of Jesus, trust Him again in our lives. The following ones, we're just going to pray the ones that fit the need in our lives or the need in the life of the person that we're ministering to. And then regardless of which ones we covered or didn't cover there, we're always going to land on um, renouncing Satan's work and casting out any demonic spirits and then welcoming the filling of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? I want us to walk through the basics of at least those three together right now. You good with that? So here's how we do that. We, thank you, Jim. If you don't have a copy of these, would you raise your hand so that they can put them in your hands? Anybody else? Butch over here? Anybody else? We're going to pray these together out loud. And, and a person may say, well, can't I just do it silently? When we're dealing with warfare stuff, we always do it aloud. And I, I'm not trying to create any uh, alarm or anything. In fact, I want to have the opposite effect. Anytime we do this, whether it's in here or whether you're doing it one-on-one with somebody, if anything peculiar happens, do not freak out. It's just evidence of the fact that the enemy is real and that God's wonderful power is pressing in to bring freedom. So don't get weirded out if anything unusual happens. Would you pray with me as we pray together a prayer to embrace and declare Jesus' Lordship? Lord Jesus... I confess that I have sinned and that I need you. I thank you for dying on the cross for me. And I trust you as my Savior. I invite you now to be Lord of every part of my life. 
Lord of my mind and all my thoughts. Lord of my emotions and all my feelings and reactions. Lord of my will and all my decisions. Lord of my body and all my behavior. Lord of my spirit and my relationship with you. And Lord of my time, my work, my family, my home, my possessions, and all my relationships. Thank you that you shed your blood so that I can be free. Amen and amen. Now, if we suspect in a situation that there may be generational curses, even the possibility of that, we'll pray through that. Um, it's very frequent that prayers of forgiveness need to be prayed. And we may just take just a moment to offer a word of explanation about why it's important to forgive those who've hurt us, why it's important to forgive yourself and forgive God. You don't have to do a teaching on that. But to pray through those, if there's any dabbling in the occult, we'll pray through that. Any inappropriate sexual sin, praying through that. Any uh, besetting sin that is ongoing, this thing, I just keep doing it and keep confessing it and keep doing it. There's prayer to break through that, to break any ungodly soul ties. And it may very well be. In fact, let's go beyond May. Let's just say there are plenty of people listening in the room, listening on, watching online, that you realize some of what we've just said, that's you. I know I'm carrying unforgiveness or I can't forgive myself or there was an inappropriate relationship or there is an inappropriate relationship. You're going to need to go get before God and just get honest about that. And yes, you will need to name. If there's a relationship involved, you'll need to name that relationship and declare in Jesus' name, as you'll see here, that that is now severed and I revoke the rights of the enemy to come in through that relationship. Having prayed through those opportunities for confession and revoking the enemy's rights, we now come to the renouncing of Satan's work and casting out demons. You ready to join me in that? Let's pray together. Satan, I hereby renounce you and all your works in my life. I, by an act of my will and the strength that Jesus Christ of Nazareth gives me, close the doors of my life to all the entry points that you have previously gained through my sins. I speak out in the name of Jesus who defeated you at Calvary that you no longer have any right to trouble me on these issues which have now been confessed, repented of, and forgiven and from which I am now being cleansed by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I now take authority over every spirit assigned to me which cannot confess the Lordship of Jesus Christ of Nazareth who came in the flesh. I remind you of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, ascension into heaven, and his place of authority at the Father's right hand. I remind you that all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus, and that I too belong to Jesus and share in his authority. And I now command you in Jesus' name that you are bound and must leave. You will be silent and do no harm as you depart. I bind you together as one spirit and command you to now go to the dry places where Jesus himself is commanding you to go. You will not return to me, my family, or my home. In Jesus' name, amen. And as a final word, we invite and welcome the filling of the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I give my entire being, spirit, soul, and body into your hands. I invite you now to fill me with your Holy Spirit that I may be totally yours. In Jesus' name. 
Amen. Is that simple enough? Now, here's where real discernment is important. Sometimes the enemy is going to come out through just doing what we've, we've just done. And sometimes he's just going to bow up and try and dig in and you're going to have to continue to press in. Sometimes he's going to try and, and duck and lay low and make you think that he's gone when he's not. Whether it's in your life or the life of a family member or somebody that you're close to that you're praying over. You're going to have to be discerning. And if it's somebody that you're working with and you're praying for, it's so much more important that you teach them to fish than you just give them a fish on that day. You are teaching them how to put this into practice every day. You happily will continue to pray for them, but they don't have to be in your presence to do this. So you want to teach them to do the basic parts of this every day. Taking authority, surrendering to the Lordship of Christ, binding the enemy, and inviting the filling of the Holy Spirit. You with me on that? Are you at a place that you're willing to begin to put these things into practice in your own life and for your own family and those that God puts around you? Not a rhetorical question. Are you, are you ready to begin to step into that part of the pool? Yes. Me too. Let's go to the Lord together over this. Father, we pray that you would manifest your life and your power among us in a way that would bring you much glory and that would bring freedom to your family. God, I pray that you would speak and bring freedom to, to some who have just struggled for so long. Bind the chains and the enemies that have held us in bondage and set us free to serve you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi. Thanks so much for taking time to tune in and listen to the message today through Freedom Online. Uh, we would love to, the opportunity to meet you personally anytime that you're in our area. But if today you heard something that really connected or that maybe you've got questions about, you'd like to talk with somebody or have someone pray with you, we'd love to hear back from you. You can reach us in a couple of different ways. You'll find on the website a contacts link. You can contact me or any member of our leadership directly. Or you can call us at the number that you see on the website or at the bottom of the screen now. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope that you have a great week.